going to look at a message entitled, What Are You Aiming At? And I'll be honest, I did not pick that title anything to do with Wild Game Weekend, but it sure fits. Um, now, I am not going to be up here pulling out you know, my rifle and giving you uh, uh, advice on long-range shooting. That would not be quite as long as what you heard about last night, not even in the ballpark, actually. And if you look really closely, some people are, are not hitting the crosshairs there. That would be more like me shooting. Um, but uh, we had Nick this morning and last night, um, and he could tell you how to shoot a lot better than that. But it's amazing. We're, we're always pushing for something. We're always headed towards something. We're always aiming at something. And, and there's an expression that has really been on my mind as I've been thinking through this. And it's the expression, if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. And so often that's true in our lives. But I was thinking about it in, in a somewhat lighter but still very serious sense. A lot of people will aim at nothing, firing a gun into the air. And if you've ever looked into what can happen, those bullets do come down. I read at one point um, they, they actually, I think it was the Mythbusters, did this. I haven't seen the episode, but I read about it. And the, the bullet in that particular case came down very slowly because it was sideways. But people are killed every year from unaimed bullets aimed straight up in the air. In Puerto Rico, apparently about seven people have died from celebratory gunfire straight up in the air. On New Year's Eve in the last 20 years, it was on January 1st, 2015, a 43-year-old man in Houston was killed from the same thing. Unaimed bullets are real dangerous. Not here to preach about that at all, but just to use it to illustrate the point. Unaimed lives may or may not be literally physically dangerous, but they sure can be in danger of missing where we should be aiming. They sure can be in danger of not being used by God so in the awesome, amazing, and enjoyable ways he has for us. So ask yourself tonight, and we'll be in John 4 in just a moment, but with your life, what are you aiming at? So exciting to, to see kids and teens get involved in aiming at glorifying the Lord right here in the next generation service and in so many ways throughout their lives already. And I'm so grateful for Sunday school teachers and King's Kids workers and teen workers and, and our pastor and so many others who help aim young lives and, and older lives at, at serving the Lord, at living the life he has, at being able to avoid so many horrible things and even have a life that aims for what matters most and hits that mark. Man, guns should be aimed well, aimed carefully if they're going to be fired. And our lives should, are always aiming at something and should be well aimed, carefully aimed by God. Let, let's learn from Jesus' example what we should and should not be aiming at for our lives. Let's pray and we'll get into John 4. Father God, thank you for purpose. Thank you for meaning in our lives. Thank you that we have eternal purpose in us, and we have eternal purpose to aim our lives at, and I pray that we'll never miss that. You give us so many blessings and so many good things and, and just so much fun all along the way that we get to enjoy, and I pray that we will make sure our lives are aiming at you and the life you have for us. It can be a tragic thing for a bullet to be fired into the air and come down and hit someone. It can be a tragic loss to have someone live their life aimed at nothing or aimed at pointless things instead of at you, and I pray that that will not be us that we will aim for the purposes, the high calling you have for us. We thank you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, as we look into John chapter 4, and we'll be picking right up in verse 1, first of all, we're going to look at what Jesus was not aiming at. So first of all, what Jesus was not aiming at, John 4, starting in verse 1, it says, When therefore the Lord knew 
how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not, but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee, and he must needs go through Samaria. He left Judea and entered again into Galilee, and he must needs go through Samaria. Excuse me, I think I had a verse 4 and 3 repeated there. But Jesus was winning the popularity contest, so to speak. He, the, wow, they're saying John's been influential. Jesus and his disciples there have baptized even more than, than John the Baptist. And he leaves. Because that's not what he was aiming at. He wasn't aiming at the popularity contest. And you could go through a study on just that point and go through the Bible and the Gospels at time after time when Jesus could have been more popular, more temporarily well-received in an earthly sense, could have had more ease, could have had more enjoyment, but he wasn't focused on those things. He had a higher calling, and we'll see that's even why he went through Samaria. He must needs go through Samaria. He was winning the popularity contest and left and went to talk with one who he wasn't even supposed to like with the Jews and the Samaritans there. People can gain popularity in some strange ways, and that's what all of us can be tempted to be about. Oh, I want to be liked. I want to be accepted. I want to be popular. But let's just take a lighthearted look for just a moment at some of the weird ways I was just reading about that people can gain popularity. I read about a world pancake racing championship where you have to run in teams and with a pan and flip a pancake while you're running. And with that crowd, however small or big that crowd is, I don't know, but with that crowd, that will win you popularity. Extreme ironing, ironing, clothes, ironing, is a thing. It started on a mountainside. The picture I saw, the only picture I saw of it was people skydiving, ironing midair. I'm guessing that still came down pretty wrinkly, the shirt or whatever, but apparently in that crowd, that'll get you popularity. This one seems very pointless and weird, but World Worm Charming Championship. Apparently a certain day every year. I think it was in England, I'm not sure. But you can go and try to charm as many worms, earthworms, out of the ground as you can in a certain time limit. And if you are successful at aiming at that goal and achieving that goal, you will achieve popularity in that crowd's eyes. The rest of us will think you're kind of weird. But uh, in that crowd's eyes, you'll be popular. Silly things, and there were, I think, more than a dozen. I won't share any more. But can we agree? You can get earthly popularity from some pointless things. And if that's what we aim at, we might hit that mark. But it's essentially aiming at nothing. Jesus could have had it easier. He could have enjoyed the popularity. He could have pushed for even the Pharisees to like him here. Whether they would or not, I don't know. But he could have pushed for it here. He was winning the popularity contest. And he left because that's not what he was aiming at. He wasn't aiming at popularity. He also wasn't aiming at ministering only to people who were like him culturally. So here's the Jews. There's a Samaritan woman. Most of you know woman at the well is where we're headed to. And uh, Jews and Samaritans didn't get along. But Jews and Samaritans definitely had one thing in common. They all needed Jesus. And there will be people, whether it's a cultural thing or a rich or poor or this interest or that interest, where it will be like some people. And we'll be different from some people. 
I hope we'll recognize and aim our lives at the deepest need of every single person we'll ever meet, which is Jesus. It was John 4, verse 5, continuing on a little bit in our passage. It says, Then cometh he, that's Jesus, then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there, and Dylan read some of these verses a bit ago. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away unto the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, asketh drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? A lot of times women were not treated well back then, so that's kind of another difference that back then might have stopped a man from even caring about this woman, even bothering to speak to her. It wasn't right and it wasn't biblical and it's obviously not what Jesus did, but that was part of the culture back then. Women were not well treated in general. Jews wouldn't have bothered normally with the Samaritan. It says, for the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, if thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that saith to thee, give me to drink, thou wouldst have asked of him and he would have given thee living water. So who in your life is different from you? Whether uh, you're really into the uh, NCAA tournament, um, I, I don't know how UNC is doing. I checked a little while ago. I don't, I'm not really following it, I'll be honest, but I heard some of you talking about it, so I Googled the score during choir practice, and UNC was winning at that point. But whether you know this is somebody who likes a different team, or maybe it's someone who's wronged you in the past, or maybe it's a cultural difference, or whatever it might be, do you see them through those eyes? of those cultural differences or those even conflict differences are not your deepest need or their deepest need? Do you see them as someone who needs Jesus? Maybe they're the worst coworker you've ever had. And boy, Mondays would be great if you didn't have to work around them. I don't know. They need Jesus. They need some encouragement. They need someone who maybe is even different from they are but will, like Jesus, care more about their deepest need. Jesus was not aiming at reaching people just like him. And humanly speaking, he was a Jew, and I am not. So I am glad that Jesus was willing to minister to people who were not just like him. I'm grateful that salvation is available to all. I'm grateful that Jesus was willing to rescue a sinner like me. I'm grateful that I've had people in my life that have been able to look and aim at my deepest need of salvation and then spiritual growth as well. Jesus was also not aiming at um, going on in this ministry until he hit a bump in the road, until he hit an obstacle, and then giving up. And he basically hit one right there. She's a woman. A lot of guys didn't talk to women like that back then, didn't bother. She's a Samaritan. He's a Jew. Not bother. And now she's questioning him because that's what he wanted. He's getting a conversation going. But she's asking him these questions. There's some bumps in the road. Notice verse 11. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou this living water, that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob? Yes, he was. Uh, which gave us the well and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle. She was confused. You ever witnessed to someone and they got a little confused? Yeah. By the way, confused is okay. They're not, she wasn't saying, nope, don't talk to me. I don't want to hear it. She wasn't angry. She wasn't causing a conflict. She wasn't arguing. She was confused. But a lot of us will get asked a question 
I'm like, oh, nope, backpedal. I don't know the answer to that. There's confusion. There's an obstacle. Or we invite someone to church once and they say, no, oh, obstacle. And that'll be it. Jesus could have stopped there because of her confusion. Most of you know the story. Her immoral lifestyle could have been an obstacle. But Jesus knew she was a sinner. No matter how great or small, earthly speaking, humanly speaking, that sin was, she needed Jesus. But some of us, it'll be this obstacle or that obstacle, and we'll minister until there's an obstacle, and then we'll want to give up. Or we'll think, ah, I've done my part. But as I often say here, and as I often remind myself, some people, man, it's, it's the ninth, 10th, 11th, 14th time that they get invited to church or hear the gospel that they're finally willing to accept. Yeah. And shame on us if we stop at the eighth time. And we've got to use wisdom. I'm literally reading a book on, on tactics and engaging skeptics in conversation and things like that. Now, there's wisdom that comes from the Holy Spirit, ultimately. We don't need to be rude about it or unkind or argumentative, but we can keep sharing our faith. As Pastor John said this morning, we can keep putting out the gospel tracts. We can keep doing those things. It doesn't even matter if we realize everything God does through it. Jesus ran into an obstacle or even several, but he wasn't aiming at an easy path. He was witnessing, and he wasn't aiming at a smooth, easy, oh, yes, please, at the first word, say, yes, I'll, I'll accept you as Savior. He was engaging in conversation right with where this woman was, building just that little bit of rapport with her and sharing salvation through him. Obstacle came. He was willing to keep going, and that's amazing. I've heard the expression, I'm sure you have too, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make a drink. Very true. But do you know what you can do? Now, I don't know that you really want to do this with an actual horse. You'll look pretty silly. Please take a video if you do. But you can show a horse how to drink water. So please, if you get down and drink like a horse by the river with the horse right there, please take a video of it. I want to see. But to use the expression that, that really is used to talk about humans, yeah, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. But you can show them how to drink. You can show them how vitally important water is. And you can keep showing them the way. We'll be like, oh, we can lead a person to, to Jesus, but we can't make them get saved. True. But we can explain just how awesome Jesus is and everything he's done for you and for me. And we can tell them how Jesus has saved us. Jesus has changed our lives. Jesus wants to do the same for them. So we can't make anyone get saved, and we certainly wouldn't try to. But we can keep investing. And maybe you're thinking of a Christian in your life that you want to invest in. They're saved. They're on their way to heaven. You can lead a person to discipleship, but you can't make them grow in the faith. But you can tell them what Jesus has done for you lately, not just in salvation, but how he's helped you grow lately. You can lead a person to read their Bible, but you can't make them actually read it. But you can tell them what Jesus has spoken to you about in your devotions that week, that day. You can show them how amazing it is. You can show them what they're missing out on. A lot of times we'll almost think as the Christian life, it's giving things up for Jesus and, and there's difficulty along the way, which those things are true. But the Christian life is something to not miss out on. I feel bad for people who don't know Jesus. I feel bad for Christians who aren't living all out for Jesus. I feel bad for myself when I make those foolish choices and don't live all out for Jesus because those are times where I'm missing out. You ever miss out? <laughs> I've been there. I feel bad for myself. I need to pick myself back up and by God's grace, get back on fire for the Lord at those times because I don't want to miss out. Eh, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. But we can show everyone around us how amazing Jesus is. And that's what Jesus is doing, showing this lady what isn't worth aiming at and what is. By the way, if Jesus doesn't aim at something, neither should we. 
So let's next look at what Jesus was aiming at. John 4, continuing on in verse 13. Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water, in the well there, shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Can you remember back before you accepted Jesus as your Savior, being thirsty on the inside? And can you just tell the difference now, that satisfaction? Maybe life is easy at the moment. Maybe life is hard. Maybe things are really good and God's blessing. Maybe he's got some blessings that are coming through some difficulty. And it's not as easy right now. But deep down, you know you're good. You've got that thirst quenched. You've got Jesus inside. And no matter what happens, you've got that water of life. So let's look at what Jesus was aiming at. Something better than the temporary. Verse 13 said it. Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. We'll look at the woman in just a little more detail next point. But uh, she's thinking, wow, water. And it's all about that water for her which I've never lived somewhere. It was that difficult to get water, but I get it. We saw it in Uganda. Uh, we were pulling into one school, I remember, um, and we were there to put on a service and grateful for that opportunity, but it's, uh, where are all the kids? Oh, oh, there they are, way off in the distance. And, and what are they doing? They got these big things on their head. They had walked a long ways. I forget how far, but a long ways just to get some water. Water's a big deal, and Jesus, of course, was glad for her to have physical water, but he had something even more important than that. It's been said, someone once observed, that a wasted life is really nothing more than a collection of wasted days. And an easy way to waste our days, to miss the ultimate purpose, is to live them for the temporary. Even good, but not God's best. Yeah. Even good, water's good. Nothing wrong with water, you need water. You need water to live, but you don't live for water. And a lot of us, you know, we, we need different temporary things to live, but then we switch it and we live for the temporary. Uh, let's enjoy food and water and, you know, being able to have strength and get rest and all of that, but let's live for something more than the temporary. Let's aim for the eternal. Jesus was aiming for something better than the temporary. He was aiming for her deepest eternal need. Verse 14 said it this way. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. It's amazing how easy in our daily lives it is to miss the bigger goal. Uh, this gets um, kind of reminded to me, brought to my mind, every time I see one of the girls' report cards. It's so easy and maybe if you are a student or you have children who are, to think, oh, they, they got good grades. Everything's good. Are good grades the goal of school? No. Have you ever, did you ever have a teacher that would give you a good grade even though you didn't learn a thing? You ever, you ever know that? Uh, I've known that to happen. I had a, a friend in high school um, and then into college who went to a different college than I did, and she had a professor that said, day one, I'll give you whatever grade you want at the end of the semester. Apparently he did. Apparently, he was really good at what he did, and some learning did still take place. But I'll look at my girls' report cards, and I'm real proud of them. They've, they've done well. But I'll look, okay, good grade, good grade. Oh, everything's good. And then I, wait, I say, wait, stop. Are they learning? And then I'll remind myself, well, hey, maybe I should do some homework with them. Maybe I should help them learn. But just one of many illustrations of how easy it is to miss the ultimate point. 
I'm not here to give you, you know, a report card or schooling lecture at all, anything like that. But just to illustrate the point, let's not miss the, the real point here of what Jesus was aiming at, her real eternal needs. It's easy to think, oh, everybody's getting along in the family. Everything's good. And when you stop and think about it, you know, oh, that person doesn't know Jesus, that person doesn't know Jesus, or that person knows Jesus and they're, they're being kind, but they haven't been in church for a while. I, man, I, I want to help them grow. And it's so easy to start to think about nothing but the temporary. Aim at nothing but those most obvious things. Jesus is kind of peeling back the layers for this lady and showing her that her deepest need is there and it's a relationship with him and that he can meet her deepest need. Jesus expertly aimed right at the heart of the matter and I hope we'll be used by him to do that as well. Let's next look at what this woman was aiming at at the beginning. John 4, 15 Said, the woman saith unto him, unto Jesus, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. And again, that part of the world, all of the effort, um, many believe that she was probably there in the afternoon in the heat because that way she could be alone and not around a bunch of other ladies because of her ungodly lifestyle. She didn't want to see all the, the looks of judgment and uh, probably of even hatred. And so getting water was hard for this lady. I get it. I respect it. She's working hard. She's thirsty. Getting water made her thirsty. Just getting water in the heat there in Israel would have made her thirsty, and it was difficult in Samaria. It would have made it difficult. So at first, she's aiming at her temporary needs. And needs are needs. Needs aren't wants. Needs are needs. She needed water. Nothing wrong with going after that. But is that all your life is about, her temporary needs, even temporary wants? This woman, that's where she started. Verse 15, her goal, her desire there, that I thirst not. And it's easy to focus on those temporary things. Silly illustration, but I like it. The world's tallest snowman. Now, I won't take answers out loud, but apparently this is the current world record for the tallest snowman ever built. Some of you can see where we're going with this, with the whole idea of being temporary. But I want you, in your mind, don't call out an answer, but think of how many feet tall you think the world's tallest snowman is. I can show you the documentation later. I can even show you a picture later if you want. But the tallest snowman, by the way, is actually a snowwoman in the way she was decorated. Um, it was built in Bethel, Maine. Go figure. A little more snow than we get here in Virginia. Back in 08, named Olympia after Maine Senator Olympia Snow at that point. Uh, the snowwoman towered 122 feet tall. Anybody get it right? Anybody like dead on? Anybody pull their phone out and Google it real quick? Hopefully not. Anyway. She was so tall they used skis for her eyelashes, wreaths for her eyes, a 100-foot-long scarf, and uh, waved uh, two whole 27-foot-tall trees as her arms, pine trees as her arms. Eight-foot-long carrot nose uh, would have reached your bedroom ceiling, obviously fake carrot there, and it, uh, no one has broken the record since. I believe it still stands today. Huge snowman, lots of effort, and it melted. In 2008, it, it melted before the, the summer, I'm sure, before spring was over, I'm sure. Melted. Would have been really entertaining to watch. I've not seen video. If you find one of, of that snowman, snowwoman melting, I'd love to see it. That would probably be entertaining. But let me ask you, what's your snowman or snowwoman? What is it so easy for you to spend so much time focused on, even though it won't last? Yeah. Again, you need some water, get some water. But that was this woman's whole focus. 
Thankfully, Jesus redirects her to what matters most, and he does that for us as well. So she was aiming at the beginning at, at her temporary things at ease. Verse 15 says, neither come hither to draw. She's saying, wow, I won't thirst again. I won't have to come hither to draw. I won't have to go get water, which again, I'll give her credit. That was a physically demanding thing to get water from that deep well. It was not an easy thing. Now it's, eh, turn the faucet. Oh, I'd like it from the fridge after it goes through the Brita filter. Water is easier. Go grab a bottle. So easy for us. I'll give it to her that it was harder. But that was her focus here. It was also on dodging the real issue. And that we can be guilty of this as well. Verse 16. Jesus saith unto her, Go, and call thy husband, and come hither. She's thinking they're just talking about water. I think she starts to get it here. Wait, there's a little more going on here. Go call your husband. Verse 17, the woman answered and said, I have no husband. And she thinks she's off, done with the conversation there. Jesus saith, I said unto her, thou hast said, well, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, and he uh, whom thou now hast is not thy husband. In that saidst thou true, truly. The woman saith unto him, saith unto him, sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. She's starting to get, there's a little more to this guy. I think he's talking a little more about water. By the way, do you see how creatively and kindly Jesus brings this conversation around? Um, that's a pretty wicked sinner, because we all are. Living an ungodly lifestyle, and he knew it, and he never once beat her over the head with it. He used it to show her, hey, you're a sinner. Not that you're such a bad sinner. You're living in an adulterous relationship, a sinful relationship. You need Jesus. No, it's that all of us do. And he kindly and, and even creatively brings that around to the real issue. But how often do we hope to have some excuse so we don't have to deal with our real spiritual issues? Maybe it's not for salvation. Maybe it's for some point of growth. Uh, one of my favorite illustrations was actually from a book on relationships, and it was talking about having a godly relationship. If you want to have a godly marriage, have a godly relationship with, between you and God first. And it was the illustration of a boat, a ship. And the author of the illustration said it this way. He said, all of us, you know, our rooms have different rooms. Our boats have different rooms. Our lives have different compartments. And we'll give God most of them. Let him have full access to most of the rooms in our life. And maybe there's one or two, three or four, that he's knocking on saying, no, I need access to that area too. And we'll hope to have some excuse to not have to dig in to that, that real issue. Well, I hope the preacher doesn't preach on, on this yeah, I'm leaving it vague, so I think God might be talking to all of us about whatever that area is. And God's knocking on that ship door of that one room in our lives, or two rooms, whatever it is, and say, no, I need access to that area. And we could say, hey, maybe it's music, and you've never let God pick your music. Maybe it's what you watch. Maybe it's how you talk. Maybe it's coming to church more. I, I get you're here on a Sunday night. Maybe, and again, we could go on and on and on down the line. Maybe it's that... This morning, Pastor John talked about witnessing. I'm mentioning it again tonight. Maybe that's, you know, someone you're supposed to have talked to a month ago and a week ago and this afternoon. And he's knocking on that door and saying, will you obey in this area? <laughs> we like to dodge the real issue, but let's let God have that full access. We love to have someone to blame so we don't have to deal with our real spiritual issues. She thought she was out of it, just saying, I have no husband. We love sometimes to think there's so much on our to-do lists that we can convince ourselves that we don't have to deal with our real spiritual issues. Yeah. Let's put that at the top of the to-do list, no matter what's on there, on the rest. This is what this woman was aiming at at first, 
He's dodging the real issue, looking at temporary, but it was all about to change. Let's look at what she was aiming at at the end. John 4, verse 19. The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Verse 20. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. So she's talking some religious things, and we won't unpack everything in this part, but let's take a look. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. It's a Jews-Samaritans issue there. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. You can see how Jesus get into the heart of the issue. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Awesome things about worship. Again, we won't take time to unpack all of that. But notice verse 25. The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, or Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. She clearly goes on to, you know, it's clear from the passage she places her faith in Jesus. And notice what she aims at now. Almost to the end of the passage of what we're going to be looking at. We're almost done. Notice what she aims at. Skip down to verse 28. The woman then left her water pot. It didn't matter anymore. And went her way into the city and saith to the men, Come, see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? She left the water pot. She left the, the well because she'd found something more important. By the way, she goes up to a bunch of people and says, This guy told me everything I did. This is a woman who is known for not living a godly lifestyle. She's not trying to brag about what she did. Now, I'm sure the guys at first were like, Really? That was a good thing that he knew everything you've done? But she was willing to focus not on the temporary anymore, but on telling others. Let me share this illustration. It's, it's a little long, but not too long. But it really points out the opportunity we have and the choice we make when it comes to telling others about Jesus. Sahel is the vast stretch of savanna, more than 4,000 miles wide, just under the Sahara Desert. In that area, all the moisture comes in just four months a year, May, June, July, and August. After that, not a drop of rain falls for eight months. The ground cracks, and so do your hands and feet. The winds of the Sahara pick up the dust and throw it thousands of feet in the air, and then it comes slowly down as a fine grit across much of Africa. Gets in your mouth, gets inside your watch, and stops it. The year's food, of course, must all be grown in just that four-month period. People grow sorghum or milo in small fields. October and November, they're beautiful months. The granaries are full. The harvest has come. People sing. They eat two meals a day or even three. The sorghum is ground between two stones to make flour. And then a mush, um, this author describes it as the consistencies of yesterday's cream of wheat. It'll fill you up. Not my favorite food, but uh, that's all right. Then December comes. The granaries start to recede a little bit. Many families start skipping breakfast. By February, the evening meal gets smaller. The meal shrinks even, though during Mar even more during March, and it starts to lead to some health issues in children most of the time. You don't stay well on a small meal a day. Then inevitably it happens. A six- or seven-year-old boy, apparently this happens every year, comes running up to his father one day with excitement. Daddy, Daddy, we've got grain, he shouts. Son, you know we haven't had grain for weeks. 
Yes, we have, the boy insists. Out in the hut where we keep the goats, there's a leather sack hanging on the wall. I reached up and put my hand down in there. Daddy, there's grain in there. Give it to Mommy so she can make flour and we can have something to eat. The father stands motionless. Son, can't do that, he softly explains. That's next year's seed grain. It's the only thing between us and starvation next year. We're waiting for the rains, and then we must use it. The rains finally arrive in May, and when they do, the young boy watches as his father takes the sack from the wall and does the most unreasonable thing imaginable. Instead of feeding his desperately weakened, hungry family, he goes to the field, and with tears streaming down his face, he takes the precious seed and throws it away, scatters it in the dirt. Why? Because he believes in the harvest. It's a lot easier to live for the temporary. It's a lot easier to live for the popularity contest. It's a lot easier to live for acceptance and ease and all those things. But we'll be willing, sometimes with tears in our eyes perhaps, to sacrifice those things and be willing to spread the seed of the gospel if we care about the harvest. We, we think, wow, man, Andrew and Anna Smith and, and Robbie preparing for the mission field and on and on, that's amazing, and it is, not to detract from them at all. But wow, what a sacrifice. It's the same level of commitment we should all have 24-7 here. If God calls us to go, go. If God calls us to stay, stay. But the sacrifice should be the same. We should care so much about the harvest of souls and about helping to grow and disciple other people around us that we're willing to make those sacrifices. Jesus didn't care about the popularity contest. Jesus didn't care about cultural differences. Jesus didn't care about those other things because he cared about this woman's soul. And he was willing to do all of this for one even though I think some of the other guys are going to get saved as well, that, that she went and told. And many people probably from reading this passage have been hugely impacted in the thousand years since this, in the 2,000 or so years since this happened. But Jesus was willing to do that for one. He was willing to do it for you. Probably used somebody, maybe a Sunday school teacher, maybe a parent, but to take their time. Maybe sacrificing day in and day out, week in and week out, to have that Sunday school message prepared or that children's church lesson or to just talk to you patiently at, at home, wherever it was, so that you could come to know Christ. But do we believe in the harvest? If so, we'll be willing to tell others. We'll be willing to make that, sac that sacrifice. And right here at the end of the message, just an encouraging note here at the end. John 4, verse 30, we read it a moment ago. Then, uh, or we read the verses before it. But notice what happens. Then they, the, the men she had told about Jesus, went out of the city and came unto him. This was a woman who came to these guys who knew her and said, hey, I met somebody that told me everything I, I've ever done, meaning this is the Messiah. But again, I'm sure they're scratching their heads and like, did, did you slap him? Uh, like, he was telling you about all that stuff that you've done. Were you offended? He, he would talk about that? Her past didn't end it. The fact that she was changed by Jesus did it. You might be like, oh, I can't witness. I'm not perfect. Well, Jesus was, but nobody else was. This woman certainly wasn't, and she was a very effective witness. I'm certainly not perfect, but God will use us if we'll be willing. Her past mistakes showed how big of a change Jesus had made, and Jesus forgave her of those things, but then used her past mistakes to help others be able to come to know him as Savior. What she was aiming at now made all the difference in her friends' lives. One more expression about your aim that I've heard. I think this was on a poster. I think I can still picture my middle school hallway 
at the school I went to in Chambersburg, Pennsylvania, that had this on a poster, encouraging us to aim high as students. It said, aim for the moon. If you miss, you'll land among the stars. And kind of a fun expression. But nothing we do for God is wasted. You might be like, I've tried and tried and tried to get someone to come to church. Maybe you invited them 9, 10, 14 times to the wild game dinner, and they didn't come. Maybe you've shared your faith and shared your faith, or maybe it's a Christian, you've challenged them about some area, you've tried to encourage them in some area of their lives, and they keep going down the wrong path. Nothing we do for God is ever wasted. If you're aiming for the moon, if you're aiming for what God wants you to aim at, you'll land among the stars. He'll use it. He will be glorified. Nothing we do for God is wasted, but a lot of other things we do are nothing more than a waste of time. Let's aim for the moon. Let's aim for God's best. Let's aim for what God has for us to do. Might not always go easily. We'll run into some obstacles. We might lose some popularity, some ease, some temporary things. It might be with tears in our eyes sometimes, but it'll always be worth it. Let's aim for God's highest purpose and for God's glory with our lives. Let's pray. God, thank you for using us for using me in in your service, in your ministry. I pray that we'll all be involved in that, whether that's around the world or right here, at work tomorrow, at home tonight. I do pray for those that we know that don't know you as Savior. pray for anyone in here who has never made that decision to to trust you, the Savior we were just talking about, that tonight will be the night that they'll accept you as Savior, have their sins forgiven. I pray for us that know people who need you, that we'll keep praying for them, keep sharing, keep inviting them to church, and that they'll get saved. We, we know you can only, you are the only one that can do that ultimate work, but I pray that we'll do our part that you give us. It's tough sometimes, God, and I pray that you'll help us to have wisdom in these things and to know what we should be aiming at. Help us to each take a look at our hearts and our lives and see what are we aiming at with our money, with our time, with our focus, with our energy. Thank you for giving us an ultimate purpose, your glory and your purpose to aim for. We thank you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.